Hey, how you doing? All right. Well, my name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church, and we are so excited about today. And I want to welcome you to week four of our series called Building Blocks, Building Habits That Shape Lives. You know, we all need people in our lives. Um, that's because that's the way God created us, to need each other, to be in community. Um, sometimes we recognize that. Sometimes we don't. But there are occasions, there are moments in our lives when that becomes glaringly obvious how important it is to have other people in our lives. I experienced that yesterday. Uh, I love this time of year um, for several reasons. One, I love good food. And this holiday season, you know, we enter into the holidays and we're just constantly eating good, good food. And I love that. Uh, I also love the cold weather. It's starting to get cooler. A uh, little bit of snow. I love snow. I love cold, so I love this time of year. But here's why I really love it. Um, one of my favorite things to do in the entire world is to ice fish. And we are now in, uh, barely, but we are now in what we call ice season um, here in Colorado, especially in the high mountain lakes. And so this was my first opportunity yesterday to go ice fishing for the year. We're a little bit on the early side. Um, Normally, it's a little bit later before I can really get into it, but there are some high mountain lakes that are uh, frozen already. And yesterday, Dave uh, Hobson and I uh, went ice fishing for uh, kokanee salmon. I don't know if you realize this, but we have salmon uh, here in Colorado. They're, they're a landlocked version of sockeye salmon. Uh, I did catch more fish than him. <laughs> uh, I, I won't mention that. I won't talk about that, though, because that'd be inappropriate. Um, but yesterday, we went ice fishing for the first time. Now, there's always preparations that go into ice fishing, but there are special preparations when we go into what we call early ice season because conditions can be a little sketchy. Um, the lakes are just now freezing, uh, so the ice is a little bit thin, uh, thinner than you know we'll experience into December and then all the way through March. Um, so you have to be extra careful um, and make a few extra preparations. You know, ice doesn't form um, at the same rate all over a body of water. And so you can have one area that has four inches of ice, but then go over here and there's two inches, two inches of ice. And then if you get into an area where maybe there's a little current and moving water, it could be half an inch. And so you have to be extra careful, especially this time of year. And so my wife always gets nervous when I go ice fishing, despite my claims at how safe it really is. Um, but this time of year makes her especially nervous because she watches me as I get prepared for early ice. And so Dave Thompson and I, Dave, um, Hobson and I were uh, texting back and forth on Friday, trying to go through our list to make sure we had everything we needed to be safe. And so when I started pulling some of these things out, Elena starts getting extra nervous. Um, see these right here, these are what we call ice picks. And so this goes around my neck like this and um, and, and these stay around my neck during early ice. Um, they have retractable spikes. You can't see them, but um, when you put pressure here on the end, um, large steel spikes stick out the end. And that's for if or when you fall through the ice. Um, these are around your neck. They're ready, and you grab them. And this gives you, this allows you to like stab it in the ice and pull yourself out of the water back up onto safe ice. Um, so here's, here's another one. This one kind of makes me laugh. Um, so this is what we call a spud bar. Um, and a spud bar is um, to go as you're going down the ice, you're slamming this bar down on the ice and you're testing to see whether or not it's safe before you keep going any further. 
Um, now, obviously, if it broke through the ice, that would let you know, don't go any further. But generally, they don't break through the ice. What you're listening for is the sound the ice makes as you're hitting it. Um, I don't know if you could tell. This is homemade. Um, they actually sell real spud bars, but they're like 50 bucks. And um, I've got a little bit of redneck in me and a whole lot of cheapskate. So, uh, <laughs> so I made my own, as if you couldn't tell. So this is just a big iron rod. Um, and I attempted to make my own handle with tape up here. It looks terribly trashy, but uh, it works. Um, and, then, and then here's the last really important piece of equipment for early ice. Uh, this, is, this is my 50-foot climbing rope that I don't use for climbing because I'm not a climber. Um, but this is what you do with it. Uh, put it around your waist like this. Cinch that up. There's 50 feet of space. And, uh, and then your partner ties it around their waist too. And uh, this is probably obvious what it's for. When you're out on early ice, you could accidentally step through because some places aren't very thick yet. And you don't know that until you test it. And hopefully the spud bar tells you that. But it's not always perfect. And if you were to fall through, uh, you have this rope already tied to you with 50 foot of space between you and your partner. Uh, early ice like this, you don't fish standing next to your buddy. Um, you want as little weight uh, centered as possible, and so you fish a little bit of far from each other. Um, fortunately, neither Dave nor I fell in yesterday, although we did get to one sketchy part. We are walking on the lake and quickly realized that the ice was getting very bad very quick, and we had to back up and rework our trail to get to where we wanted to fish, and we had an awesome time yesterday. But, you know, it's times like yesterday when you're it's glaringly obvious that, that I needed someone else. Um, I'm, I'm enough of an introvert that I really love to fish alone. Um, I also love fishing with good friends. Uh, but at early ice, it's not even a question. You always take a partner with you for, for safety. And it's times like that where it's obvious how much I needed somebody and to partner with me, to be there for me. And, and I could be there for them. There are other times in our lives where it's not so obvious. In this series, Building Blocks, we've been talking about habits or character traits or um, disciplines that we need in our lives to help us to go further, to go farther, um, to experience the life that God has for us. The Bible tells us over and over and over about the incredible life God has in store for His followers but how do you get there? Haven't we all been at the place in our lives where we've thought, man, I know there's got to be more. I know there has to be more to life than this. I, I hear stories. I read about them in the Bible. I hear other people talking about how awesome their relationship with God is and how he's doing things in their lives and answering their prayers and they feel his presence. I know there's got to be more, but I don't know how to experience. I don't know how to get there. And we're talking about building blocks, building a foundation into our lives so that we can experience these incredible things to experience the life God has for us. And today we're going to talk about community, about our desperate need for other people involved in our Christian walk, in our Christian life. Because the Bible states over and over and over that we cannot fulfill all that we're called to do. We can't be all that we're called to be. We can't experience the fullest expression of the life God wants for us without other people. 
Sometimes that may be obvious when you experience a tragedy and you're, you're quickly aware of how much you need others. And sometimes it's not as obvious. Uh, today I want us to look at the Bible and, and really ask the question, why do we need community? Why do we really need other people? What's really so important? What, why does it really matter that much? You know, I, being a pastor, um, it's interesting. Um, I, I have a lot of um, good friendships, and uh, it, it helps me interact and meet new people in a way that, that I wouldn't otherwise. But being a pastor also um, puts me in a lot of awkward situations. Uh, you know, Elaine and I will go to a, a social gathering, a party at somebody's house, and we'll be hanging out, and I'll be talking to some of the other guys, and maybe we'll be talking about ice fishing or hunting, or, um, you know, we may be talking about cars, which is totally out of my league, but I'll stand there and listen to the other guys talk about cars, and um, we'll, be, we'll be talking, and inevitably, the question always comes up, what do you do? And uh, usually, so, so when I get asked that question, I just kind of brace myself. I know what's coming. And so I say, well, I'm a pastor. And uh, I get a lot of really strange and funny and awkward responses when I say uh, I'm a pastor. You want to talk about a buzzkill. It's a great way to ruin a conversation at a party um, by telling somebody you're a pastor. And so usually one guy will always pop up immediately and say, oh, I'm sorry. Now, <laughs> he doesn't mean he's sorry I'm a pastor. What he generally means is I've been using a whole lot of four-letter words, and I didn't realize I was standing next to a guy who knows God. And so they all of a sudden feel guilty or something. And so they're like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And uh, I always give him a hard time and kind of play along with it. I'm like, oh, don't be. I love my job. Um, but uh, it's always interesting because immediately someone in the group always feels the need to justify why they don't go to church or to or to give me an excuse like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, hey, I go to this church and, and, you know, we've been really busy and the wife's been sick and da, 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 but, but we're going back, you know, we're we're going to get back involved. We've just been talking about that or, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, we're kind of in between churches right now, da, da, and I'm always like, dude, I didn't ask. All I said was I'm a pastor. I didn't ask for an excuse. Like, I didn't even ask you what church you went to, but... People all of a sudden feel this need to justify to me why they're not in church or, or why they're not very faithful or whatever the case may be. A lot of times we don't recognize how important community is in our lives, especially our spiritual lives. And today we're going to talk about why is it so important? Why is it so vital for you and I to be connected to a church, not just um, to be able to, to name where we go to church, but really genuinely be connected. And I want us to look at why. Why does it really matter? What's so important? Um, if you want to open up your Bibles this morning, uh, open up to Romans chapter 12. If you brought your Bible, open it up. If you didn't, maybe you can pull out your phone or your tablet and open up the Bible app. Or um, we have Bibles provided for you underneath your seat or the seat in front of you. And if you use one of our Bibles, the page numbers will be up on the screen to help you find your way just a little bit easier. I'm going to look at 2 Corinthians real quick. You go ahead and turn to Romans 12. Um, this is what 2 Corinthians says in chapter 5, starting in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. 
And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Listen, you and I this morning need to start uh, by acknowledging we're all in the same place. All of us. You know, so much of the community in our lives, friendships, um, you know, the other families or couples or singles that we like to hang out with. The, the reason we like to hang out with them is because we share something in common. Maybe it's a love for ice fishing. Uh, maybe it's a, a love for um, a, another hobby or it's because your personalities click or you have the same kind of background, or you have the same political views, whatever the case may be, our friendships, our, the community in our life is often uh, based around commonalities, a common ground. In here, we have a lot of different people, different backgrounds, different races, different ages. Some of us have been Christians for as long as we can we can actually remember. We can't even hardly remember a time when we weren't a Christian. Others of us um, are so new to this whole Christian thing. Uh, we, we're, we're almost hesitant to even call ourselves a Christian because we're, we're just experiencing everything new and, and for the first time and, and still learning. Some of us in here, uh, maybe you wouldn't even call yourself a Christian yet. You would say, I'm still searching I'm still trying to decide, is this something I want to be a part of? Is this something that I want to do? Uh, And you're in a good place here today, no matter where you stand, because you and I are all on the same page. That you and I all, as the Bible would say in Romans, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. All of us. None of us are perfect. None of us measure up to God's standard for our lives. And you and I all begin this discussion about community on the same page. You may be very, very, very different from the person sitting next to you or behind you or across the aisle from you. But regardless of what your hobbies or political affiliation look like this morning, we all share one common ground that makes community possible here. And that's that all of us have failed. And Christ has died for all of us. Just like 2 Corinthians read that we just, that we just looked at. Uh, that one has died for all. Therefore all have died. And he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves. You and I. All of us. Christ has died for. So that we might die to ourselves and no longer live for ourselves, but live for him and others who follow him. All of us share common ground this morning. And that's the basis for our community. It doesn't matter if we look alike or sound alike or do the same things in our free time. We all are community because we share one eternal truth. We have all failed and fallen short of God's glory, but He, Christ, the Son of God, has died for us all. And so as we move into our discussion on community today, about why it's so important, we need to recognize that no matter how different you may be from someone else in this room, community is made possible by Christ, and that He has died for us all to bring us 
altogether. So open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, and, and I want us to look, uh, starting in verse 3 together. Um, we're going to read this, and then we're going to kind of stop and break it down and, and see what really the Bible is teaching us about community. So Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3, it says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Uh, we're going to make several observations about community, about why we need community, about what role it plays in our lives. If you're a note taker, if that's something you enjoy, on the back of the worship guide that you were handed when you walked in is an opportunity and a place for you to take notes. And I'd encourage you just to write down some of these thoughts uh, as we go along this morning. So here's thought number one for why we need community. Number one. Community keeps us grounded. Community keeps us grounded. Uh, look back at Romans chapter 12 with me. Up here on the screen, I have some things highlighted. Look where it says here in verse 3. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Um, you and I, when we're alone, have a tendency to get a distorted view of ourselves and reality. Uh, in two different ways. Sometimes in a negative way. We start looking at our lives and going, man, life's not fair. This is terrible. This, is, this isn't right. My life, it's not how it's supposed to be. It's not fair. Why are all these bad things happening to me? But when you're connected to a genuine Christian community, um, and you're invested and involved in other people's lives, and they're invested and involved in yours, when tough times come, we're able to look around and go, you know what? It may be rough right now, but I'm blessed. You know what? I know what I'm going through is tough. But there's other people around me who've already been through the exact same thing. And they know what it's like. And they came out on, but better on the other side of it. You know, I know that it doesn't seem fair what I'm going through. But I know somebody who has it much, much worse than me. Being in community keeps us grounded. It also keeps us grounded um, on the positive aspect. Sometimes we get this idea that we're Superman. We're Superwoman and we don't need anybody. I don't need other people to follow Jesus. I don't need other people in my Christian life. I can do this on my own. They'll just get in my way. They'll just slow me down. They'll just make life more messy and more difficult. You know, Peyton Manning is uh, arguably, probably not even debatable, the best quarterback in the NFL today. And I think when all is said and done and he retires, Peyton Manning will be the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. Now, who knows, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years from now, if somebody else will come and, and steal that glory and that title from him. But when, when he's done, he's going to own almost all, if not all, the records that matter. Uh, and uh, he's going to be the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. But nobody is more aware of how much they need other people than Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning doesn't become the greatest player uh, in the league without a great offensive line to block for him. 
Peyton Manning doesn't became, become the greatest quarterback and break all these records without receivers who can get open and catch the ball. Peyton Manning doesn't become the greatest quarterback to ever play the game without some incredible doctors who can perform four neck surgeries yet still give him the ability to play in an elite level in one of the most brutal games that we have. And after four neck surgeries, he's better than he's ever been. Peyton Manning doesn't become the greatest quarterback to ever play the game without a, sport, a support staff and coaches who are watching game film from other teams and can sit down with him and describe to him what other teams do defensively, how he can beat other defenses, where the weaknesses are in other safeties and corners. Without a support system, Peyton Manning is nothing more than a tall guy who makes funny commercials and can throw the football a long ways. But there's a whole lot of guys in this world like that. But there's only one Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning knows more than any of us that without a good support system, he's nothing. Being involved in community keeps us grounded because it reminds us constantly of how much we need other people. Number one, community keeps us grounded. Here's number two. It keeps us interconnected. It keeps us interconnected. Look back at Romans chapter 12. Look here in verse 5 where it says, So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Um, You and I are a part of a story. A story that's much bigger than ourselves. An eternal story. And let me give you a little hint. You and I, we are not the main characters. We are a part of a great big story. And you are not the main character. Uh, Elaine and I have a friend who um, several years ago, um, I mean, she had already graduated college, was married, had kids, uh, decided that her passion and her calling in life was being an actress. And she wanted to go big time. She wanted to do Hollywood, movies, the whole bit. And um, we wanted to be supportive as, as good friends are. We kind of had our, our doubts and not sure if uh, this is a great time in life to be trying to make that transition. But um, her and her family packed up, moved um, close to, uh, moved from where we were in Oklahoma at the time um, to where she could be close to Hollywood so she could have opportunities. She got um, an agent, started, you know, auditioning for all this stuff and um, things weren't going really well. And then finally one day we get a call that she's going to be um, involved in a major network, um, what do you, what do you call it? TV series. Um, now, she wasn't going to be like a main character through the whole series, uh, the whole season, but she was, she was going to have a role in a major network um, television series. And um, so we kind of formed this watch party. She told us when she was going to be, like what scene she was, like where to look for, and real excited. This was her big break. And so uh, we, we get together as a bunch of friends to watch and Thankfully, she wasn't there with us that night. And uh, so we're watching and we're watching and we're watching and we're waiting and we're watching. And we don't even really like this show, but we're we're excited, man. We're going to know somebody famous in Hollywood. And so we're watching, we're watching, we're watching, we're waiting, we're watching. And then the credits. And uh, we never saw her. And then she had to get on Facebook and say, well, they cut my scene. I, I, I didn't get in it. 
Um, I mean, I think she still got paid. They just cut the scene that they had filmed with her in it. Now, since that time, um, she's been, I think, in a few commercials and a few background, you know, scenes and stuff and some TV shows. And uh, um, maybe she'll make it big and, and we'll still get to say we know somebody real famous in Hollywood. But um, as, as painful and embarrassing as that was for her, as much as it had all been hyped and everyone was supposed to be watching and there were lots and lots of people waiting for this, uh, this moment, that's a great picture for you and I. We're a part of this great big story. And you and I are not the main characters. We're at best the background people. And maybe or maybe not our scene will get cut. Maybe people will remember your life a hundred years after you're gone. Or maybe no one will. Maybe no one will remember your name 30 years from now. But the point is, you're not the main character. Christ is. And we're all members of of his body and as members of his body we recognize that we all play a part together Uh, number two being a part of community keeps us interconnected number three it keeps us accountable romans chapter 12 looking now in verse six look at these two parts i've highlighted up here on the screen verse six having gifts and then he says let us use them Being in community keeps us accountable because it gives us the opportunity to use our God-given gifts. I hear a lot of times, you know, when I'm at those parties and people try to give me excuses about why they don't go to church. And um, it usually always ends up coming around to, well, I know I should be in church, but, you know, I'm I'm just hurting myself. I know I should be in there, but, but I'm, it's okay because I'm making my own decisions. I'm really only hurting myself when I don't go. And that is one of the biggest lies you could ever believe about church. When you are not a part of a community, it is not just you who hurts. And it's not even mostly you who hurts. You bring harm and hurt to everyone else. Because God's given us gifts. And he's asked us to use them. And so when you're not here, and you're not using the gifts God has given you, we all suffer. Because God gave you those gifts to help us. And God gave us gifts to help you. And when you pull yourself out of Christian community, it's not you who hurts, it's us. Because we desperately need the gifts and the passions and the calling on your life to help us grow together. And when you pull yourself out, everyone suffers, not just you. And if you think about it, you can't be an obedient Christian without being committed to a community of believers. How many times does the Bible say, love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, build one another up, pray for one another, sharpen one another. If you're not a part of community, you cannot fulfill those commandments on your lives. And so you cannot be an obedient Christian who's following God's plan for your life without being committed to Christian community. Um, I want us to move on in this Romans passage Uh, So Paul says, you know, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Just talked about that. Paul's going to go on for the next several verses 
and talk about some example gifts. Um, because we're talking generalities and not specifics today, we're going to skip over that part. and We're going to pick back up in verse 9. And let me read this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Number four, why we need community. Because it keeps us honest. It keeps us honest. Verse 9 here says, let love be genuine. That's a great translation. And, and that really communicates the heart of what Paul's saying here. But, but let me tell you what the literal word that Paul uses here um, in the Greek text. He literally says, let love be anti-hypocrisy. That's the most literal translation of what he says. Let love be anti-hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when we put off a front on the outside that does not match what's on the inside. Uh, I don't know if you're interested in sociology or not. Uh, if you are, that's a kind of a strange hobby for you to be into. But um, I love sociology mainly because that's where my education background comes from. Uh, and I love to read about sociological studies and research and surveys. Um, and here's what's interesting. We live at such a unique time in human history. Because unlike any other generation in human history, and when I say generation, I'm not talking about a you know, generation Y or the millennials or the baby boomers. I'm, I'm talking about generation generically, like everyone who's alive today. We, our generation, those people who are alive today, particularly in the Western uh, part of the world, are more connected to people than any other generation uh, in the history of the world. Um, we are connected to more people at more times and more ways with more avenues of connection than any other generation in human history. But here's what's really interesting. that sociology is trying to understand today. Um, and if they'd look to the Bible, maybe they'd get an answer. Uh, that despite us being the most connected generation in the history of the world, this generation feels more alone than any other generation in the history of the world. Surveys show that more of us feel more alone than any other generation in human history, despite the fact that we are more connected than any group has ever been before. You know why? It's because all of our connections are built off hypocrisy. Because all of our connections, uh, especially through uh, social media, are all built upon putting something, uh, a face or an image up on the outside that doesn't match what's on the inside. And so it usually goes something like this. You're on Facebook and you see a friend of yours post about this beautiful dinner that she just uh, made for her whole family. And it's so elegant and pretty and it's got garnishments and it's ultra healthy and major organic and whatever else they label things. No GMOs. And you look at that and you go, you know what? If I just can make enough time to run through the drive-thru at McDonald's, I'll be doing good today. And you look at your life, your reality, compared to somebody else's highlight reel. Because isn't that what we post? We post our highlight reel that we want people to see and celebrate and comment and like. 
and you compare your everyday reality to somebody else's highlight reel. Or maybe one of your friends posts and, and their husband just came home from work a little early uh, with some chocolates and some flowers and he announces to his wife, I have a date night planned for us. I've already taken care of childcare. Everything's ready. Get dressed. Let's go. And she's posting how incredible her husband is and he's Superman and you go, man, my husband's a jerk. Because you're like, He's going to show up 45 minutes late. Dinner's going to be half cold. And he's going to be tired from work. Because you compare your everyday reality to somebody else's highlight reel. Because what you don't see behind their, the front that they put up is the fact that her husband came home and did all those things is because he just royally screwed up and he's trying to make up for it and not lose his marriage. Somebody posts a picture on, on Instagram of this beautiful painting their seven-year-old made for them at school and it says, I love you, mommy. And you're like, man, that doesn't happen in my house. But what you don't see is the anger and the screaming and the yelling and the bitterness that goes on behind their closed doors. Because we compare our everyday reality to somebody else's highlight reel And though we're connected to more people than we've ever been, we feel so alone because we look at everyone else's life that they post on all these connections that we have and we go, I can't relate to them. My life's not like that. I don't live on cloud nine every day. And so despite being more connected, we feel more alone because all these connections, we feel like we can't connect. We don't live on the same plane or the same world that they do. Listen, this, this church, Christian community, is a safe place to struggle. Because just like we read in 2 Corinthians 5, how we started today, we're all on the same page. We've all fallen short, and what brings us together is that Christ has died for us all. We need community because it keeps us honest. Because when you know people, they won't, they won't let you get away with posting some kind of fake front when inside everything's in turmoil. And we need that. Number five, community keeps us growing. Look at this. What, what Paul says next after love, let love be genuine. He says, abhor what is evil. This we just said was a safe place to struggle because we're all on the same page. And let me say this. It's okay to not be okay here. This is a place where it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. You and I, we all have blind spots in our lives. And we don't see them. That's why they're called blind spots. And we need other people to help us who will see those, those blind spots in our lives And will help us grow. Paul says here, abhor what is evil. When you love somebody, you don't allow them to just go wherever they want to go in life and do whatever they want to do. If you genuinely love someone, like Paul said earlier, if your love is genuine, you have to confront people. And we need that to grow. We need community because it keeps us growing. It's like when being a parent. If I see my kids, I'm, I'm inside, I look through the front window, they're playing in the front yard, and then I see them start to run into the street without looking. 
I don't step back and look out the window and go, ooh, man, gosh, <laughs> hope that works out well for him. No, I love them too much. I'm going to go outside, I'm going to confront the issue. I'm going to confront them. Not because I'm mean or evil or judgmental. It's because I love them. Because I can't allow it. Because I see things that they don't see. When we are in community, it keeps us growing. Because the people around us are going to abhor the evil in our lives. When we're sinning and we're running away from God and we're doing things that we're not supposed to be doing, we need people to call us out. We need it. We need that in our lives. But number five has to be partnered with number six. Number five was it keeps us growing. Number six, it keeps us balanced. Look back at Romans 12. Right after he says, abhor what is evil, he says this, hold fast to what is good. While we need people to call us out in our lives, what we don't need is a church or a room or a community filled with referees who just run around blowing their whistle every time they see a foul. Listen, referees are vital to the game of football. When we go home today and we all watch the Broncos, how terrible of a game would it be if the referees never showed up and they just went ahead and played anyways? There would be no balance in the game. It would be a free-for-all, and it would ruin the whole game. As much as we gripe about referees, they are vital to the game. But here's the reality. Nobody has a favorite referee. Nobody goes up to the referees after the game and says, Oh, dude, can I please have your autograph? Nobody has posters. No, there's no teenager or kid in, in this country, I guarantee it, that has a poster of a referee, of their favorite referee on the wall. We need them in our lives. We need people to call us out. But if that's all you are, or if that's all the community is, it'll be miserable, it'll ruin the game, and no one will want to be a part of it. Number five has to be balanced with number six. Hold fast to what is good. Here's what Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says. You don't need to turn that. It'll be up here on the screen. Starting in verse 24, Hebrews 10 says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How much we need community. Don't neglect meeting together. And I love what he says in verse 24. And let us consider. Oh, the intentionality here. The premeditation. That when we are in community, it's not just about calling out what we see wrong in one another, but that we literally meditate on how can I build so-and-so up? How can I encourage? How can I strengthen them? How can I build them up to love and to good works? Yes, we got to call out each other. Yes, it's important for us to keep growing. But it has to be partnered with an intentional love that we correct because we love. And in the process, we are trying to create ways to continually build one another up. 
Being in community keeps us balanced. That was number six. Here's number seven. Being in community keeps us encouraged. Look what uh, Romans 12 here says. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. How awesome. How awesome would it be to be a part of a community, of a group of people that, that took this seriously, that was in a constant state of competition to outdo one another in showing honor. That when you walked in here or into your small group or into your Christian community, that you were literally trying to, in a competitive spirit, outdo the other people in showing honor and respect and love and compassion. Wouldn't you love to be a part of a group like that? And if you are a part of a group like that, it wouldn't seem so judgmental when someone did need to call you out on your junk. Because you knew their heart. Because they were being intentional about spurring you up to love and good works. Because they were holding fast to what's good in you. And here, that they were trying to outdo you and showing honor. And is there any better way to reach our community? To give them a reason to join us here? Because when they look at us, they see a group of people who are so consumed and impacted and transformed by the love of Christ that we literally try to outdo one another in showing honor. Can't think of a more attractive billboard to our community than for that to be our attitude in our heart. And here's our last one. Number eight. Being in community keeps us faithful. Look here at Romans 12. Verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Here's what's interesting. It seems at this point that Paul turns his attention away from talking about the large group to talking to an individual. And we'd be tempted to think, okay, now he's no longer talking about community. Now he's just concerned with my personal relationship with Christ and, and some, some uh, characteristic traits, some qualities, some discipline, some habits in my own life. But that doesn't really have anything to do with community. We've moved out of the large group and into my own personal life. It'd be tempting to think that way, but here's the reality. Um, that ends verse 12 there. Uh, we don't have time today, but for the next nine verses... Paul goes on to talk about community. I would love for us to go through that that portion, but we just don't have time today. But he goes through and talks more about community, which means here, he didn't take a time out and change subjects. He's still talking about community because here's what we know. Our relationship with others is rooted in and only made possible by our relationship with Christ. Being in community keeps us faithful because we realize that keeping our relationship with Christ fresh and active is imperative to the health of the community, not just our own spiritual health. Just like we talked about earlier, God's given you gifts and has called you to use them. And when you don't use them, other people suffer. In the same way, when you allow your relationship with Christ to dwindle and suffer, It hurts the rest of the community because we need you. We need your prayers. We need your faithfulness. We need you to be intimately connected with God and the Holy Spirit so that when you speak to us, you speak life into us, 
so that God can work in and through you. And being a part of community sort of holds us accountable to being faithful with our relationship. You, you ever look at your life and go, why can't I be consistent? Why can't I stick with this? Why can't I stay consistent in reading my Bible and in prayer? And, and it seems like I start good, but then I drift so quickly away. Being in community keeps you faithful. It keeps you grounded. It keeps you connected to Christ. And it's because God didn't mean for this life to be lived alone. Your, your relationship with Jesus is very, very personal. But it was never meant to be private. As we close today, let me throw this last thought out at you. Being a part of a church and attending a church are two very, very different things. Being a part of a church and attending a church are very, very different. As a matter of fact, the Bible has nothing to say about attending a church. The church is not a building or a set of programs or a budget. The church is the people that are united in faith and in a mission. You and I need one another. And attending a church does not mean you are a part of community. To be a part of community, you have to invest your life into the mission of what we're doing here together corporately and invest your life in the people around you. That's what makes community, not a gold star on an attendance chart. You can attend church all your life and never be a part of genuine Christian community. Will you pray with me?